HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. Meat and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meat and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern. I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So this is this is awesome. We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and believe it or not, the influence of great chefs' grandmothers. Meemaw never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode. Subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Having a very civilized day here today with Edward Fraunader, uh, better known as, is it Eddie or Edie? It's Eddie. Eddie. Eddie and the Wolf is a wonderful restaurant in New York City's Alphabet City, kind of East Village area. Um, and you own a few more, which are all Austrian or Viennese themed, mm-hmm. because you are an Austrian man, born and raised in Vienna, which... I've been to before, and it's a fascinating city because of how preserved it is. You know, it went through a couple of wars, but it was untouched. And around the Ringstrasse, there's so much culture and history, and it has this long lineage and legacy, but it doesn't feel old and stodgy. It feels like new and, and really inviting in some crazy, crazy way. I, do you feel uh, about Vienna in that same fashion? I mean, I'm, I, I am from Vienna. I grew up there and I, I moved uh, to the U.S. when I was 21. So, like, I think my, my um, formative years being, being, being young, at least, for, um, for American standards, uh, was in Vienna. And I, I do agree with you. It's, uh, Vienna, feels, Vienna feels a little bit timeless because it's also 
it's a it's a grand city. It uh, well it used to be the the capital of a uh, of two thirds of Europe, half of Europe, twenty six nations and languages com- combined in the Habsburg Empire. So um, and this city was by by design for a way bigger population than what it is today. And uh, hence the, the grandeur of the Ringstraße and the buildings, the, the, the history those walls have seen, and, um, and the entire footprint of the, of the um, city as well. And then, um, because you mentioned Austrian cuisine, it's also one of the few city-based cuisines in the world because you, you have the French cuisine, you have Italian cuisine. Yes, there's sub-branches to, to, um, to it. You've got the, the Provence in, in southern France, etc. But like this, I think there's more the Viennese cuisine than the actual Austrian. Yeah, let, let's define that because I've been to Austria and I've been down to Styria, mm-hmm. uh, into Grasse. And that, Beautiful. That, it's, it's stunning and they're amazing orchard fruits and you know, thermal baths, but it feels like a completely different place than Vienna does. But what what would you constitute as Austrian cuisine? What are the classic dishes, and does any of that trickle down into Vienna, or is that something of its own? I mean, I think Austrian cuisine is defined by Viennese, the Viennese cuisine itself. Um, it's the it's not just the capital, um, but it's also like it's the it was always the area where where the aristocracy could afford to play with food. Let's be let's be frank. Like until I love history of food. Until like the nineteenth century, even like the f- very first part of the twentieth century, what was the driving force of any culinary development? That was the courts. That was the courts of 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 Europe, which basically brought um, poor man's ingredients slash food, and then exchanged it within within one another. Like they they would change chefs. They would like bring ingredients from other countries: spices, salts, coffee, this, that, chocolate, uh, and so on and so forth. So um, so Vienna was always the melting pot for Austria, and the Viennese cuisine was always equal to the Austrian cuisine, and um, and on and there basically the the main dishes developed meaning. The Wiener Schnitzel, which, which was landed from the La Cotoletta alla Milanese, from the from the court of Milan, but then of course refined, uh, bone taken off because it's not a cotoletta; it's just a piece, and not just, but it's only a piece of meat pounded, so you do not have the bone on it. And then on the other hand, through the reduction of the bone and just the meat, you can like really define it through cooking it perfectly, like that that puffiness. What you want in the Wiener Schnitzel? That being one dish. Then the the next dish would be um, uh, the the goulash, which was lent by the Hungarians, and uh, then defined through like the usage of the veal cheek and and like lesser lesser elegant cuts of of the beef. But we do have to use all parts because nose to tail cooking is nothing new. Nose to tail cooking is has been around as long as we have been breeding animals and. Uh, so um, it always amuses me, like how in what in what uh, three sixty degree cycle uh, those trends go. Same yeah. with like seasonal cooking. I mean, there was only seasonal cooking until what sixty seventy years ago. So like when when did we lose that? And then we have to re refine it. You you know what's fascinating about Vienna is that there are some aspects that aren't seasonal at all. Um, and one specific thing is the coffee house culture there. Um, and in the coffee houses, 
it's egalitarian. It's not aristocratic. I feel like anyone could go there, enjoy a, what is it, a wiener melange, like the cappuccino, um, have a slice of soccer tort, mm-hmm. and there is always that on the menu. So it isn't a seasonal thing. It's an expected and, and very comforting thing that it's always there. Oh, they, I mean, the coffee shop itself has number, not only in a very egalitarian spirit, I mean, the coffee shop most likely and most importantly was had a sheltering function as well because people did not have heat. So they had to go to the coffee shop basically to enjoy a warm room for numerous hours a day and whole revolutions were planned in coffee shops. Literally body heat. Body, yeah, but body heat, but also had, they had a chimney most of the time. So body heat plus the heat off the kitchen plus the chimney because people did not have always enough uh, fire to keep the house warm during the day. So, so, like, I should never go to Café Lantman and say, oh, it's too hot in here, because I'm taking for granted the fact that there is heat. Well, um, believe it or not, one, one, one trivial story about Café Lantman, which is located right across the parliament. Yeah. Uh, th- I think they were so afraid what the waiter heard over all those years working there, they actually gave him uh, a medal of honor. <laughs> yes, believe it or not. They gave a me- the, the waiter of the Lantman, who worked there for like 20 plus years, 30 plus years, a medal of honor for for all the sketchy things he probably heard from the politicians. <laughs> well, let's talk about this Café Lantman because we are in the city of Freud and it was a very known haunt for him and psychoanalysis of mm-hmm. his time. Uh, what does that mean in the greater context of Vienna, but also food culture in Vienna? I mean, Lantman, like the Viennese coffee shop, Lantman more specifically, is, a, is, an, is like the, the Viennese version of a French bistro. You have like breakfast, lunch, dinner, late night drinks, this, that. Um, people had their, had their tabs running um, because either they didn't want to pay or they couldn't pay. And, um, and it's, a, um, it's a concept, it's a gastronomical concept, which I think is harder and harder to execute in, in days of today, given things have to be fast, things have to be uh, easy, not too refined, but at the same time they have to be understood, and um, and so so Landmann, like any any old Viennese coffee shop who's still in business today, and there was a big consolidation of coffee shops, um, is fueled through tourism. And just like areas getting better and better, people have more having like again more time to spend then and use them as meeting places. Yeah, Viennoiserie is that meeting place be- between bread and pastry. Absolutely, um, and and this may blow people. I grew mind. up in a bakery. Oh, really? I grew up in a bakery in a coffee shop. I was yeah. I was before I was a chef. I was a trained baker. Yeah, and it is this amazing kind of intersection of those two things, and a lot of people might not know that the croissant is. It's Turkish. Well, and then, and then they left. Austria. They forgot it. They, they yeah. actually, when 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 Vienna stopped the Turks twice, the Ottoman Empire, not the Turks, the Ottoman Empire, um, and and after their retreat, they found two things, two major things, which was coffee, and then the the half moon shape, a half moon shaped pastry, which that's the reason why the croissant is half moon shaped, and then this viennoiserie full circle went then back to the court of France through that connection 
to be then implemented as the croissant in in uh, in Fran in in, Fra in France and in Paris. Yeah, and it was, but it was cultivated in this wonderful way in Austria, in Vienna, and in these coffee houses. And do you find that same education has to go into something like, you know, a, a Wiener Schnitzel? I mean, it, it's nothing but a fried cutlet of meat that's breaded, but it seems like something else. It seems, you know, foreign. Uh, in the concept of being here in New York and having Wiener Schnitzel, it feels transportive to Vienna. Do you have to educate people what, what that dish is? And what what seems very simple to food obsessed people is at times very hard for somebody who has not been around. Number one, not that long, meaning like seniority and like just like age spent in a kitchen, or B also interest. I know people who like very. Who, I know one of some of my chefs are very very young, but they're so they're so into it. They're like so they're like they absorb they absorb things like sponges, like like little kids, and and they they make a schnitzel after like three times they just like like bang it out of the park, and they it, it puffs perfectly, and like the way they treat their flour, their eggs, their breadcrumbs, the way they pound it, how uniform, and 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 so on and so forth. It's just like perfect. And it comes very intuitive, and for some people it does not come very intuitive but that's with a lot of things it's like you being a radio host like perfect They're like the the intonation the breaks it's like it's like a theater and for some people it's very easy to like be part of that theater and for others it's it's a it's a lifelong struggle and then you should not be i guess in the kitchen or you keep on trying and then but there's also one beautiful thing about repetition it makes it you can make it better and better every time you make it every time you make it you can improve and that's what i think cooking or a lot of tasks are like you are a pro tennis player you test like four or five different strokes and you repeat them how many thousands of times until it's perfect and only a subsequent level of perfection leads to the grand slam so to say so um well on that we're going to take a quick break and come back and maybe talk about the grand slam of Viennese cuisine, uh, schnitzel, spatzel, strudel, and maybe schnapps. Because cool. you have to finish a cool. meal with something. We have to. <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. We'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of the Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach cave-aged cheeses, Der Scharfe Max, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Here today with Eddie Fraunader. And we were talking about Viennese cuisine and brought up schnitzel, spatzel, strudel, and schnapps, the four S's. Uh, there, there are so many 
interesting and intricate things that happen in Viennese cuisine that are very simple dishes. We were talking about the difference between aristocratic and egalitarian, but really these are very simple, made at home, but also made at restaurant dishes. Mm -hmm. I I don't feel like there's a separation in a lot of these foods. I mean, um, yes and no. It's also, it's like a, also level of execution. I mean, like we, when, when, when I opened seasonal, uh, and we received a Michelin star after six months, we did have, Spätzle and the schnitzel and the goulash on the menu it's all a question of execution and like it's really difficult to reinvent food because the best the best foods come from the street from the peasant from from the rural area where people like really know how to go with the season people know how, really how to treat certain vegetables proteins this that and the other so um, yes you can say most cooking is simple, but like I think to to keep all those moving parts together in the kitchen is the art of I guess kitchen management or like or just like producing a beautiful dish to order and also like prepping it a certain way. And it's very simple. I mean, like I think as long as it's it's fresh seasonal ingredients, well treated and well sourced, there's not that's the first step. But I think it's also one of the, the most important steps. And like the the rest is is I guess. Um, the art of cooking and the proper execution, but like I know for the to the outsider, uh, Austrian food can come across as being like overly simplistic, and like they always think it's only meat and potatoes. <laughs> yeah, and like you know what, meat and potatoes is it can be can be very very wonderful and very very soothing. And Wiener Schnitzel is ultimately meat and potatoes. But I don't know a single person who came back from Austria and, and said not how happy they were with the food and thank god all my restaurants in new york city because people are well traveled you don't have to explain to them anymore yeah the schnitzel the spätzle the goulash and so forth well coming back from vienna the the first thing that i wanted to find was a good schnitzel and i i went to fiegelmuller in vienna and had their mm. schnitzel and it, it's you know bigger I have than childhood the memories yeah. i've i have childhood memories from the size and the taste of that schnitzel and they have this raspberry soda I don't know if you had. No, it. I didn't. I'm telling you, they have they have this raspberry, and my father used to take us there, my brother, my sister, and me, and I can remember it till today. I do not remember the schnitzel, but I remember this raspberry soda. Well, then going to Schilling, your newest restaurant in the financial district, having that schnitzel brought me back there in a way because I've been looking for the schnitzel that has waves, mm-hmm. and I've been watching these mesmerizing videos of you making schnitzel yeah. the butterfly cut, <laughs> Thank you for pounding the it out uh but there is a technique in dragging the meat you know the, the the breaded cutlet through the oil so it swims rather than sink so you don't burn a side of it well you okay it's a multifold process as most things in life are um you first Start with with the pristine cut of meat. Can be chicken, can be veal, can be pork. Center cut porkland, veal top round, or chicken breast. And then you basically you you cut it to a, a quarter of a half inch piece, and then you basically pound it. The pounding is a tender a tenderization process, which really helps in the subsequent eating and in the uh, evenly cooking off the schnitzel. Because don't forget, like uh, the quality of people's teeth a hundred years ago was awful. And like they were not neither aging it uh, nor nor uh, braising it. Like you just don't forget that this black piece of meat had to be perfect in order to be like eaten easily. And then and then you basically um, use sifted um, all-purpose flour, 
a slightly, lightly beaten whole egg with nothing. Some people like swear putting in uh, sparkling water. Some swear putting in milk. No, egg only, slightly beaten. The reason why you only want it lightly beaten is so it coats a, it coats a bit thicker on the schnitzel. And then you basically finish it off in, in uh, breadcrumbs, sifted, unseasoned breadcrumbs. Don't use any like seasoned herbal breadcrumbs. It just like like takes flavor away from the actual meat, which is the star of the dish. And um, after going through the spreading procedure, and just make sure that like you have no like like uh, clumps forming in the breading procedure, because only an even coating of the meat will allow you to perfectly puff it up, which is then the key part, the puffed up schnitzel and the color, which has to resemble the um, the color of a Stradivarius. Going, going back to like the yeah. the Viennese roots of classical music, and then the the classic side dishes are fingerling potato salad, cucumber dill. Like I think dill is such an underperformed and un- underused and utilized uh, herb in cooking in general. Together with tarragon, together with um, with chevrolet, I think those are like the three underdogs. I think uh, because everybody goes rosemary, thyme, parsley, chive, and I really think. Tarragon, chevril, dill are the the main stars. Yeah. I I personally the think. lighter, the softer herbs, and I, I agree because after coming back from Vienna, I did crave dill. I had it in aquavit over there. I had it in so many different applications. I had it in schnapps, um, but spatzel, strudel, again, feel like these dishes that are so easily executed at home but obviously it takes a a very deft hand to be able to accomplish you know the lightness of what these things should be there's this word and i'm not going to be able to pronounce it but it means a sense of conviviality uh gemütlichkeit yeah can you explain what that comes from what that means to you and to your restaurants um i mean some people call us crazy to to um to put so much detail into into the restaurants I mean, if you look at Eddie and the Wolf, if you look at Freud, if you look at Schilling and the Third Man, there's a lot of like, there's first and foremost, the perfect sense of proportion. That's like also like what you really find in, in, um, in, uh, in this, it's called the architectural stream, which Vienna is built on, is called the historismus. Uh, historism, I guess, would be the, um, the proper translation to this. And uh, historism basically the basis of the golden cut, which is from, uh, I guess, Plato, mm-hmm. which uh, basically defines a certain proportion within a room, within a building, uh, within th- furniture, and so on and so forth. So this is the first the first rule what we have is the proportion of the room, bar versus dining room. Uh, when it comes to dining room, seating versus the width of the, of the, of the place, etc. And then, uh, so Gemütlichkeit starts with the proper proportion of a room because only then then you feel comfortable. The second you feel comfortable, you can uh, start with uh, sharing this time with your friends, with your family. I mean, that's like the whole purpose of going to a restaurant, bar, whatever it is, coffee shop, is to um, refresh your memories from like good old times, create new new good memories with either old friends and new friends and ideally doing this together um, and and uh, uh, therefore creating this like uh, self-feeding prof like process of uh, of 
living of life of like that's the reason why people lived in coffee shops you, you don't think it's because you want to set this sense of comfort and, and and serenity so you can be psychoanalyzed i mean isn't that the basis of all viennese culture yeah i mean like you, you have a what? bar freud there was a reason there was a reason why why freud was uh was took vienna as a, like the breeding ground of his psychoanalysis because number one it was the center of I guess it was the scientific, the uh, business center, the political center of the world at that time, and um, and Freud, Freud was Freud, going back. I mean, like half of half New Yorkers are Freudians anyway, and two and three quarters go uh, to the therapist. So, but then the the Viennese had a different solution. They just like would sit with their friends, drink and talk. So uh, that's that was their therapy. And like, if you really think about it, there's not much difference of paying your therapist to talk about certain things or like going into the coffee shop or or uh into into a wine bar a viennese wine bar to uh to talk about you the pro the daily struggles you have uh because uh, for for most we all have the same problems most of the time you know in walking into the third man for the first time um i had this weird sense of deja vu because i've seen the movie mm -hmm. i've seen orson welles and oh, yeah. it was it was written by graham green i believe yes. too um, Orson so, Welles just stars in it. Yeah, some, some people think that that he, it's that, his movie. Yes, yeah, but it, it it's I mean talk about psychoanalysis. It is a psychological thriller. Mm -hmm. um, but for some reason, walking into the Third Man, which is a little labyrinth-like, mm -hmm. and you, you may feel trapped when you go in because of how it's set up, you feel fine being stuck there or staying there for a long period mm -hmm. of time. Um, how did you figure out the uh, the golden mean or Plato's theory in making that place so homey and so comfortable? And it, it just lets your guard down in this way. I mean, it, it's um, it's the, the entire room basically mirrors mirrors itself, and it's it's the the inspiration for the third man also came from this beautiful bar, which is the Loos Bar L O O S in Vienna. Which is which was built by Adolf Loos for his uh, who's a, who was a grand architect um, for his three sons because he was really um, irritated by his three sons always going out to drink at night. So he's like, "Listen, boys, I'm gonna build you a bar, which was right below where he lived, where the, so I know where you are, <laughs> and you can feel comfortable. And this room is like this room is so small and makes such good use of um, of proportion mirrors." Material, the brass, the green leather, the onyx, and so on and so forth. I mean, and this was built. If you go online and you check out this bar, you will you cannot believe that this bar is old, is older than a hundred years. So you have all this like speakeasy operations, and then this guy basically started with the elegant speakeasy a hundred years ago. Um, so so that was the starting point to the third man. Yeah, and then and then when I told uh my guys said like hey i really want to build it like this they gave me an, a dollar amount to build it like one to one which was just not feasible like i'm talking uh backlit marble brass leather um like infinity mirrors which have to be like set up so in like in 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 90 degree angle that they work and so on and so forth and plus they had a uh they had an egg on Sheila hanging in the corner. Yeah. Which the Sheila then really broke the bank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but walking into that space, again, it feels so inviting. Um, 
in this mirror, the, this, you know, having so much reflection in there is, mm-hmm. is certainly allegory to all the Freudian things that may happen. And I won't ask about your relationship with your mother, but I will oh, ask. She's, she's coming in a week. So that's good. <laughs> uh, I will ask about Heuriggers, though. Yeah. And this relationship Austrians and Viennese have with being outdoors and drinking and that conviviality. And when I walked up to Schilling, which is in the middle of the financial district, and it's unexpected that it's even there in, in what looks like an old tenement building. It's one of the few one of the few tenement buildings which were left in all this like development craze before and after nine eleven. But it feels like a place where you can get away within the city. And Heuriggers are similar in that fashion. I mean, the Heuriger, the Heuriger which is basically the, 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 Viennese, the Viennese wine bar. Um, there's, of course, people love it because, like, weather in Vienna can be very crappy. And those, like, three, four, five months out of the year, you really enjoy sitting there. Number one. Number two, Austria produces only half the wine Germany produces, being at the tenth of the population. That just shows how important wine is to the Austrian people. Um, the the Heurige is also the wine equivalent to the beer garden. Very egalitarian. Everybody sits on big, long tables. At Schilling, we have like one big table holding 24. And people do share because they have no choice. <laughs> they have to share it. And um, this like, I tried to bring at Schilling this like airiness into the room by um, like getting rid of all like uh, all like ceiling height, like totally opening it up, twelve foot ceilings, and putting this like like beautiful like bluish tones into the room. So basically, like p- trying to like give you the idea of like you're sitting outside, and then um, the Heidegger also like really produces like very simple, straightforward, delicious food, which is I think the the key the key to any restaurant today is like just. Keep it delicious. Keep it simple. Make food people can understand and like be be truthful to to what to what you offer. And I know at, at Chilling we stretch it at times because Chilling is also like a little bit our um, how should I say that our um, little Italian sibling. I took Trieste as an as an inspiration uh, of of the menu and. Um, doing really really well and i think like the financial district is a very underserved neighborhood and um and this is like also like a a very a very quiet nice block where you would not expect a restaurant such as Schilling. say this word again for me the conviviality the gemütlichkeit so it's defined as a sense of conviviality and cozy intimacy that comes from the temporary surrender of everyday responsibilities and i love that the temporary Surrender. surrender of everyday responsibilities and You've done that to me today by ordering this bottle of rosé <laughs> and just coming here with the, this this wonderful attitude that, you know, you are a very accomplished chef, you have very great restaurants, and you do take business seriously, but you do not take life as seriously. What's the what's the most what's the most important thing we have in life? And I do not say this as a platitude. I say this because Number one, I just had my second child three weeks ago. And then I really like, I have to like, you always, you, we get caught up in this tunnel vision. Like we are like, you, you and I, we are people who are, who love what we do. We strongly identify with the things we love and the things we produce and the things we touch and the things we move. 
and um at the end of the day you get like we get such we get at times carried away from the really important things in life which is number one we should be thankful that we're healthy my wife is a surgeon she's like she's she's a breast cancer surgeon so like she's like that's that's tough i mean with us it's not about life and death we don't tell people well with 80 percent of the time she has good news for them but the 20 percent is that those are those are tough conversations this is a tough pill to swallow but then on the other hand i think like hey we've got our health we've got our passion we've got people we can share this with and we've got a healthy family so this is the core what makes me function in everything else i do and that's i think that's and then to be brought back from a freudian standpoint to like lose that tunnel vision at times that there's more a lot of beautiful things around us and you don't have to be rich you have to be financially independent to a certain extent that you like want that you have the things you need as long as you have health and like a healthy environment around you meaning the coffee shop or the wine bar or god knows where you find your serenity um is i think the most important things what what i'm tr- striving for like at, at my age at this point because i gave so many things up for the past 16 years just like sacrificing everything for that michelin star that new york times review that new york magazine review that uh feature in the wallpaper that that visit at heritage radio in <laughs> new york city at roberta's yeah and and you have to get to the point in your life where you say yes you do this but then you do that and you have to be also a family man and you have to be a leader most importantly in like in what you do and i work with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and like it's really to like to spark that flame of like what do you think is important when it comes to food and and then it's food in general it's not even austrian food I mean, it's like, it's all French technique. And then we can, we can debate of like where this French technique is going to bring us, how abstract we, we want to take it. But ultimately it's about hospitality. It's about the, the love of cooking, the love for the product, make the product shine. Don't be too, don't think too complicated. And then while you're in this process, you will find your Gemütlichkeit. And then once you have found it as a restaurateur, waiter, cook, etc you will bring that feeling of gemütlichkeit to your guest to your client to your co-workers to your family which is gemütlichkeit is applicable on all aspects of life not just restaurants to your schnitzel to my schnitzel <laughs> and and on that i will never look at a pounded breaded deep fried piece of meat a, you know in the same perspective again and everyone should go to Eddie and the Wolf, Bar, Bar Freud, uh, The Third Room, Schilling. Stop by Third Man, Schilling, and all these places, and, and really see that, you know, uh, there's so much perspective to be had on such simple things in life. But I, I thank you for being the person that you are and for having the restaurants that you do here in New York and bringing the serenity that we all need. And, Michael, thank you for the appreciation of Austrian cuisine. And, listen, like, it's uh, the more the merrier. Thank you. Excellent. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you for the music by Cookies and David Tadashore Engineering. Cheers.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.